Blog Talk Radio. Hello, welcome to Snake Oil Radio here on Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, if you're catching the show uh, either live or in archive, as many people do, uh, again, welcome. Um, my name is Jim Ventura. Uh, if you're not familiar with me, uh, I am a uh, professional navigational consultant. I work with astrology and numerology and uh, tarot cards and runestones, a number of different types of oracles. Uh, I do private sessions here in my home office with clients as well as by phone with people uh, all over the country and uh, a little bit all over the world, I guess, too. Um, if you're interested in any information about any of those things, uh, go to my website at jimventure.com and you can look up some information on um, booking a session, whether you're local here or looking to do uh, a phone session. Uh, also, a uh, published author with a couple of different books. Uh, I do a, uh, I'll say, somewhat monthly column. I don't do it monthly anymore. I do about maybe 10 a year uh, called Snake Oil. Um, and that's also the name of one of my books, Snake Oil Volume 1, which is the first six years of my column. And I've been doing that for about 13, 14 years now. And uh, uh, if you're interested in, in getting on my monthly mailing list, uh, just email me at VenturaSage at Yahoo.com, and I can answer the mailer list. It is free, uh, and your uh, your email address is blind copied, so no one will ever get any email address from me. Uh, it's at best once a month. Honestly, uh, it takes me quite a bit of work to get them done, so you don't get a lot of emails from me. Um, okay, anyway, so uh, I am also uh, a number of other different things that I do. Uh, again, all that information is on my website, so go check that out. Uh, today we're doing a, a live column read. This particular column I actually put out in early, i got to think about this, this was uh, about the second week of September, and it was to cover September and October. I will be doing a new column for the early uh, for early November uh, as well. So um, that's already written and, and, and going through its final edits now. But this column, uh, I, I did this to cover kind of a two-month window and period, and uh, it was a fun column to write, and I think very informative. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to read uh, this particular column, and then I'm going to talk about it with some more and with some more detail uh, and a number of other areas that are interconnected with it. Uh, I will not be taking live calls for today's show. It's a general sum. I'm not really doing that so much anymore. Uh, typically because people usually kind of are trying to get mini-readings. A lot of people who uh, do this type of work do mini-readings uh, on air, and I find, well, that's really helpful for people. Uh, the listeners don't usually get as much out of it. So, uh, again, if you're interested in, in session work, you can go check that out and contact me about booking something specifically. Uh, but So what we're going to do now is I'm going to read this column so you know exactly what I'm talking about in case you have not heard the column yet. And then we'll go up, uh, into some more detail about it. And I think this should, of course, give you some good insight at a couple different levels. So this particular column, the September-October column was, uh, of snake oil was called You Better Change That Attitude. I had a, a funny random memory a few months ago about a Saturday morning 70s cartoon that I watched when I was a little kid. The Saturday morning lineup was a very big thing back in those days. The show was called The Groovy Ghoulies. Dracula, Werewolf, Frankenstein, etc. 
were all in a band and had adventures and performed musical numbers. Uh, I recall both watching the show and making fun of it. It was a stupid title and equally ridiculous premise. There was a lot to make fun of in this monstrosity, and it made my friends laugh by pointing this out. I looked up when the cartoon originally ran. It was actually from 1971 through 1972. It's hard to believe, but it didn't have a very long run before it was canceled, being facetious here. That would have made me six or seven years old when the show was on, and I already had a wise-ass sarcastic way of thinking and tongue to match it at such a really young age. My cynical humor skills continued to sharpen as I grew up, and I remembered wanting to try a new serial called Grins, Smiles, Giggles, and Laughs. It was a tasty sugary treat with a really, really stupid name, and I made fun of that ridiculous name a lot. Around the same time, there was a nearly constant string of commercials about a baby doll called Baby This and That. The catchy song jingle was... Baby this and that, baby this and that. She does a lot of this and she does a lot of that. At the age of 11, I could not believe that adults thought this was a good idea. Apparently, actual professional people sat around brainstorming and got excited enough to market this brilliant idea. Were they being serious about she does a lot of this and she does a lot of that? What the hell does that mean anyway? This is when it began to sink into my awareness that some adults were really stupid and severely lacking in talent. I have no doubt that this doll and the cereal are collector's items now. Comments like this were abundant during my childhood, and I had a number of times when my mother told me to stop being such a wise guy. In a somewhat similar way that astrology works, the Michael teachings show that we are wired at birth with one of seven attitudes. These are actually chosen at a higher self level and locked in for a lifetime. The idea that you should or even could change your attitude is largely meaningless. At best, we can learn to stay in the positive poles of our attitude as opposed to the negatives. An idealist cannot become a pragmatist if someone told them that that's what they should be. The seven attitudes or way we see life are from listed most common to least common. So the list is this, idealist, realist, pragmatist, stoic, skeptic, and then spiritualist. I am a realist. The positive pole or expression of a realist is objectivity, and its its negative is subjectivity. A realist can slide to its paired attitude of cynic, though. The positive pole of a cynic is contradiction, and its negative is denigration. The realist sees life from the lens of it probably is, while the cynic sees life from the lens of it probably isn't. Many realists understandably make good judges, arbitrators, and counselors because of their ability to both emphasize empathize, uh, and to be objective. A lot of the best comedians are not surprisingly actually cynics. They can be really funny by calling out contradiction uh, in society and human behavior, but sometimes can be a bit too dark for others. 
the cynic attitude is often taken on to handle a potentially difficult life, often with repayment of karma. George Carlin is a great example of a famous cynic. Judge Judy would be a great example of a famous realist. We tend to gravitate to people with similar attitudes or the paired attitude. Pragmatists have the unique ability to be to sometimes be able to fly to any of the other attitudes, with usually one or two favorite landing places. People with very different attitudes than ours can often feel like abrasive relationships. Example, a realist may see an idealist as often too naive, while the idealist can see the realist as too heavy. A stoic may see pragmatist as know-it-alls, while a pragmatist may see a stoic as uncaring or too passive. On the flip side, we actually find ourselves enjoying a different attitude in people around us and seeing it as a refreshing point of view from our own. I used to buy, drive by a store window in my neighborhood a few years ago that I never ventured into, which might have actually been really nice, and kudos to anyone willing to start uh, to risk starting their own business, but the store is now long out of business. It was called Bears, Dolls, and Surprises. Well, golly, surprises, how exciting. The name itself gave me plenty of ammunition for me to rip it on, and of course I did. One of my more recent expressions of my slide over to cynical sarcasm was about our first lady, Melania Trump. Now, while I recognize and acknowledge that there may be some good to come out of the Trump presidency so far, still I find him and his reality show family to be really hard to watch, and for a number of reasons, I don't see this ending well. The young soul, lack of empathy, and the he who dies with the most toys wins perspective is exhausting. But of all the people connected with the presidency, I actually somewhat like Melania Trump. She has dignity, a touch of class, she has some empathy, speaks like five languages, and, and gets credit for putting up with that family. Announcement last spring about an anti-bullying program is a very good thing. Although there is some cartoonish irony that her husband is often very much a bully. When I heard about her Be Best initiative, I thought, what the hell does that actually mean? Are adjectives and pronouns just too cumbersome? Didn't someone suggest to her that this sounded kind of murky and silly? To try sarcastic uh, sarcasm via text and phone messages. I hit up many of my friends and family with a simplistic reminder at times to be best. A likable friend who is a big Trump supporter that I often see at the casino told me it is likely that Melania and her husband talked about it and the words be best have a deeper meaning that her and I just don't understand. Yeah, that must be it. I'm simply not smart enough to grasp why it's called be best. LOL. My occasional cynicism is by no means limited to other people. I have rightfully ripped on myself for some really stupid things I've done over the years. I let a criminal move in with me in my mid-20s and lent. Actually, he never paid me back, so I more or less gave it away. And quite a bit of money. My first book, Dirty Little Secrets, explored how well, quote, that worked out for me. I went in with a buddy in my late 20s to set us, uh, to set up for a us up for a mail order business where we got sent etches that we needed to be carved each week and we had to do painstaking etching and then send them back for cash. 
uh, we convinced ourselves that we could smoke weed and do this for extra money and it would be fun. Of course, it was a total scam, boring, and we fell for it. I even got involved in a multi-level marketing juice thing in my late 30s, and that didn't work out to be lucrative at all. I have done some silly, stupid things along the way, and I comfortably own all of them. There are many other dumb things I've done so far in my life, too numerous to list. If I can rip on others, then I'm fair game as well. I get impressed when a friend humorously tears into me when they do it well. Listen, if we can't laugh at the lame parts of ourselves and humanity, we eliminate one of the easiest and entertaining roads to helping us heal, grow, and learn. Recently, a buddy of mine at the gym, who affectionately and sarcastically calls me Sunshine, was super excited because he got the best possible upfront parking spot at our gym. Listen, this was no easy task because half of the year we share the lot with the San Francisco Giants, their family, and lots of people who watch them train. He doofishly told me he was hesitant to give up his parking spot and go back to work that day because it was so good. I called him a dork. A few weeks later, he pulled up looking for that good spot. Same time, I rolled down my window and said, Hey, loser, you're never going to get a spot that good again in your life. Give up even trying. That moment was actually the best your life ever was, and it's all downhill from here, you dope. He burst into tears, crying with laughter. He told everyone at the gym what I said proudly and still often brings up the incidents. Typically, with many men, we playfully rip on each other a lot and see it as a form of sport. We would also have each other's back in a minute if anyone ever really messed with any of us in any real way. Like the people in my past who told me I needed to change my attitude, you might wonder why I was so cruel to him. He is going through a painful divorce after 25 years of marriage with a wife that was cheating on him for years. Emotionally and financially, he has been painfully struggling every day for about six months with all of this. I have I have positively encouraged him and talked to him quite a bit, uh, reminding him that he's strong enough to get through this and what appears to be an ordeal is actually an opportunity disguised as loss. My harshness with the parking spot joke was a way to take him away from his day-to-day or remind him while sometimes life sucks, it can be painful. It can also be really funny. Laughter breaks up our wounds, and it does heal us. Comedy won't kill tragedy, but it will get it to loosen its grip. Different attitudes might focus their own unique approaches to helping out a struggling friend. Pragmatists might give him practical advice. A stoic might just sit with him, not discuss the situation at all, and have a beer. An idealist might cheer him up with a friendly invite or a sympathetic hug. A spiritualist might say prayers for him or give him a healing crystal. No, I'm not going to change my attitude. I couldn't if I tried, and I recognize that like everyone with a similar or different attitude, it chose well. Okay, so that was the column I wrote about. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's funny because, uh, as I kind of mentioned, in the, the three most common attitudes of the seven human beings will be wired with are idealist, realist, and uh, pragmatist, uh, pretty much for the most part in that order. Uh, I think it's somewhat about, you know, 25 to 30% of the population are idealists, 25 to 30% of the population are uh, 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 realists, 
and about 20% are, are pragmatists. Uh, and then the others break down into much smaller numbers you know, accordingly. So, um, you know, for someone like me who was getting involved in metaphysics and the New Age field, you know, I, I, it, 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 there, was, there was detriment to that and then there was benefit because I was always a realist. Again, that's just a lens that I see life as, positive holds objective, negative holds subjective. So the positive pole, the realist is we do, we tend to see things from multiple sides. We often see them as they are. Um, we, we do uh, have a sort of supposition about what could potentially be, but we look at it from more through a realist lens. The negative is subjective, which is we turn it about us in some way. I use this in some respects as a technique for uh, identifying with clients when I talk to them. It's like I can step in their shoes in that way. But if anyone's ever worked with me, you know, I tell a lot of stories and a lot of the stories are very personal, but then clients will sometimes be like, oh, my God, that's exactly what I'm going through. How did you know that? Well, that's the way my, my, my brain works, you know, again, in terms of my wiring as a realist. Um, and the cynicism is more of a slide. I do that more with, with humor purposes. So when we, when we look at the, the dynamic behind an attitude, you know, for me, you know, I was actually raised Catholic, and, and that was one of the things that kind of happened for me when I was maybe – 12, 13, 14, I went to Catholic school up until the eighth grade. Uh, my mother was really a strong religious person. As a realist, I kind of had a tough time with a lot of elements of, of Catholicism. Um, and certainly were some good elements to it. So I'm absolutely not uh, in any way suggesting anything uh, negative. But long story short, even at an early age, I started looking at other alternatives to viewing philosophy. So when I came across astrology and numerology, my first thing when I was about 16 in the metaphysics was actually numerology. And when I came across it, and, and then later, a year or two later, when I got into astrology, and then later on tarot and all these other things that I got into, you got to understand something as a realist. I took everything from a very kind of somewhat skeptical perception of I had to see if it was real before I was going to buy it. But I also, at the same time, I didn't have so much have a heavy dose of skepticism or cynicism where I uh, didn't think it was possibly true. Again, from a realistic perspective, if something's been around this long, there must be some something to it in that sense. So I really studied a lot before I bought any of the dynamics that I, I teach and, and guide people with now. I, I really had, I'd had to be proven to me. Even when I was learning how to read tarot cards, um, and people always laugh about that because I think a lot of people say uh, tarot cards. I, 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 that might even be the connect to pronounce it, but it seems sort of crass to me. So I would sort of say sort of tarot. Anyway, that's just my own personal thing. Say it however you like. Uh, but, you know, I did many, many readings for myself over a span of, of even two years before I ever read for another person. I would do a reading, I would mark down what the information was, and then I would study over the next couple of months to see how much of it was valid, uh, both from the present perspective and past, because those were within, this, within those spreads, but then the future positions to see whether the future validated what the cards were suggesting. So again, I took a very realistic approach to it. And you know, getting involved in a new age field, you know, you, you typically are not running across as many people that are realists. You definitely find a lot of idealists. You find a lot of spiritualists. Uh, spiritualist attitude is very uncommon. It's positive whole uh, 
Uh, it's only maybe two percent of the population. Positive pull, the spiritualist is is uh, is uh, verification. Uh, it's negative is belief. Uh, you know, spiritualists see magic and fairies and angels and and all of that kind of sort of naturally. Interestingly enough, I give them a lot of credit. I've I've known some wonderful spiritualists in my life um, that you know, can easily talk to the dead and do things like that. A lot of these people have this gift. Um, so in, in, in this field, you will find a lot more people that are more idealistic, which is thinking about how it could be, and spiritualist, and you know, a little less in the department of, of realist or pragmatist and things of that nature. So in, in, you certainly will find people that are that way in the metaphysical fields, but you know, many of them move into more practical forms of healing as doctors and therapists. Uh, so in some ways, I'm somewhat of an anomaly in terms of the work that I do because I do approach it from a realist perspective. But over the years, where that has been beneficial for me is when I, I read for people and I talk to them, I'm giving them insight, but a lot of it is really very, very grounded uh, and, and practical in, 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 a lot of, in a lot of ways. That the, so I think that's one of the reasons why I have been fairly successful in my field. Uh, one, because I'm a compulsive studier. Um, two, because I... For some reason, people like me. I joke about that. I'm not even always sure why, but they do. <laughs> and, uh, the other part of it is uh, I think my insight is, is both intuitive but also practical at the same time, and that can be very beneficial to people. You know, we want to reach for the stars, but we want to stay on the planet, too, at the same time. So, yeah, I definitely have a kind of a, a more uncommon I have a common attitude, strangely enough, because a big chunk of the population are realists. But in terms of my field, uh, that is not as, as necessarily common. Um, I always remember, you know, I was studying in the 80s and the early 90s. I was studying a lot of Dick Sussman, uh, who was a famous metaphysical teacher, uh, his teachings. And he kind of had a bit of a realist, maybe even pragmatist, sliding to realist type of a, a disposition. And I loved his work. But a lot of people would get upset with him because he was um, uh, he he they he didn't always fall into the patterns. He asked people to take responsibility for their creations uh, in, in many ways. So he had a little bit different take than many of the the more esoteric uh, spiritual teachers had. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong, listen, there is a brilliance in, in many esoteric teachers as well too. Uh, I think that's what makes the world go round is the multiple variances to attitudes that we have. But, again, like I pointed out in the piece, you're, you're, you're literally actually wired with your attitude at birth. You can discover it somewhat through astrology, but the Michael teachings are really based on a symbol of sevens, and, and again, there are there's seven goals, the seven modes, so the way we do things, the seven attitudes, the seven fears, seven types of essences. You can break all these things down. Um, if you want to learn about this on your own, the original uh, Chelsea Quinn Yarbrough teachings and books, uh, Messages from Michael, More Messages, Michael's People. Um, and then there's a great teacher named Jose Stevens who wrote the Michael Handbook. And there's quite a lot out there still in, in, in past prints that are still being read about this particular type of channeling. Uh, it's very organized. It's very kind of efficient. It's very methodical. And if that's kind of your speed, you'll definitely find it compelling. Uh, again, also, I teach it. Uh, people can take classes with me um, uh, in, in office or via Skype. 
uh, or by phone. All that information is on my website if you were, want to learn about uh, any of this in more detail. But again, uh, going back to the point, you cannot change the attitude. So if you're a, an idealist and you're born into a family of pragmatists, for instance, like your mom and dad are pragmatists, many of your siblings are, of course you're going to have a, very, a family that's very practicality-based in terms of it does things. Now, idealists to a large extent are dreamers. It's not that they cannot be um, uh, practical. It doesn't preclude that or make that impossible. But uh, when we look at a, an idealist, again, the most se- second of the most uh, first or second of the most common attitudes people take, the positive pole of an idealist uh, is coalescence, and its negative is uh, naive. So if you understand the concept of coalescence, it's the excitement of watching things come together, how they coalesce. Um, the idealist often looks at life from the lens of how it should be. Uh, the negative is, is of course, naive, and realists can get taken advantage of maybe more than some of the atti- other attitudes because of that tendency to want to see the best. Um, as I had said, again, going back to the original piece, other than the pragmatist attitude, which is neutral, stands on its own, and can slide to other attitudes, but still ultimately is a pragmatist. All of the other six attitudes are paired. So you have, uh, again, I had I'd gone into this more detail in the piece about realist and cynic. You know, when I originally learned the teachings, I thought I was a cynic. And then I had a channeling, and the woman who channeled for me was like, no, no, you're, you're a realist. You just slide to cynic. And so early on, I was like, you know, it's true. I'm not really actually that cynical. Much of my cynicism stems from, really from playfulness and humor. Um, I can really be honest about that. I I can be pissed off and cynical and angry. But for me, it lasts like about 15 minutes, and then I sort of get bored with it. You know, I just don't want to be mad anymore. You know, I mean, I just, I don't know. I'm just, I can't really hold on to being anger be too long. It tends to, like I said, it tends to bore me after a while. It's too much like... There's too many good things on TV and, and a Vegas strip ahead and, and great writing I could read and a nap and coffee or sex or petting my cat. And it's too many good things to be mad for too long. Uh, but those two are, do slide back and forth. So with an idealist attitude, again, one of the more common attitudes, a less common attitude is idealist pairs with a skeptic attitude. So if you're an idealist, you may find yourself sliding from time to time to skeptic. Now, skeptics, it's a less common attitude. You're looking at maybe 5% of the population that are bona fide skeptics. Positive pole of skeptic is investigation. It's negative is suspicion. So, you know, great example of a famous one now on television right now is Rachel Maddow. If anybody watches MSNBC, Rachel Maddow is a literal classic skeptic. She is the quintessential newspaper reporter, the researcher, the, the attempted neutrality in terms of how you see things. She studies things. She has a quizzical disposition. She doubts stuff, but she doesn't, not in a cynical way. It's more like you have to sort of prove it and that she'll do the research to get there. And, uh, and she's excellent at it. Again, whatever your political views are, she's a, a classic newspaper reporter. You find a lot of uh, skeptics kind of gravitating to those type of fields of investigation and study. Um, so that's kind of the interesting thing that sort of gets the, gets the uh, idealist out of the negative pole. That's the way the system works. If you're caught in the negative pole of your attitude, you slide to the positive pole of your paired attitude. positive pole of, uh, of a skeptic is investigation. 
So if you're an idealist and you're caught in the trap of being naive, you slide over to investigation and you study, and that brings you back to the positive pole of idealists, which is coalescence, and then you feel good again. Uh, so the whole idea of changing attitudes is really the more that you can slide. Um, if you look at some of the uh, some of the other attitudes, then you have uh, spiritualist and stoic. Again, both of those attitudes are uncommon. Maybe two percent at best of the population that are spiritualists. And then when it comes to stoics, you have maybe again maybe in about a five percent range. Uh, I mentioned a little bit about spiritualist. Positive pole is verification. Negative pole is belief. And um, I had a buddy years ago who uh, was a bona fide spiritualist, my friend Andrew. He passed a couple of years ago. And uh, he was such a spiritualist. i got to give him credit. He, there's a lot of magic in his life in a way. But he also did this thing where he would believe something, even if it was totally not freaking true at all, and just sort of convince himself of it because he wanted it to be. Uh, negative pole belief. And it, it was, you know, there was he'd be in relationships. He was a gay man. He'd be in relationships with men that were not in the same relationship he was in. They were his friends, and he would concoct somehow that they were together. And, you know, oh, God almighty, sometimes he just got trapped in that nonsense at times. Um, but on the positive side, he was, um, he used to do this thing where he would channel Rumi. He could get a pen and paper and meditate, and he would write poetry, Rumi poetry, and wrote a whole bunch of them, had a book of them. And if you, you would open the book and you'd pull out any uh, page just instinctively and pull out a page. And i got to tell you, one, there's no question he was channeling Rumi. I mean, unbelievable, the poetry that he had. And, and it would be so specific to you in a way that it would really often emotionally um, affect you way. It was really profound. So it's one of those things that's amazing about spiritual. It's in a positive sense. Now, the paired attitude to that, or again, where one could slide, would be stoic. Positive pole of stoic is um, is tranquility. You know, stoics tend to be able to let a lot of crap go. They're more peaceful. They're not as reactive to other people. Um, the classic historical celebrity would be John Wayne, classic kind of stoical disposition, that sort of strong man and non-reactive, a little bit stone-faced in a way. Uh, kind of uh, maybe more naturally sort of peaceful. Um, the negative is resignation. And they they often will, you know, the things they give up on in some ways too easily sometimes where they don't even try. Uh, and that can be, can be frustrating. You know, uh, in, in, in classic heterosexual relationship dance, the appeal of the stoic man who... You know, if you're a very uh, intense female or gay man, whatever your situation is, and then you're with the stoic, the stoic is very calming, you know, and doesn't flip out when you flip out. They, they stay more even. But the negative is resignation, and, and that can be frustrating when they don't try. So those, as you can see, sort of why those two attitudes are less common but no less valuable than any of the other attitudes. And, and the pragmatist is sort of the neutral attitude, so to speak, although if you're on a pragmatist, they often do not seem neutral. Uh, pragmatist is an ultimately practical, and that's what its positive pole is. They are often incredibly efficient. They tend to think in terms of what will work and, and want to see 
you know, they, they just tend to think practically at one level. You find a lot of Virgos that naturally correspond to having a pragmatist attitude. Not every Virgo is going to be a pragmatist. Many, again, many are because it's an attitude that can fit well within that structure. Uh, the negative pole of, of a pragmatist is dogmatic. And anyone who knows a pragmatist knows that if you, if you don't, they'll give you advice and if you don't do it their way, they're kind of rolling their eyes a little bit about how stupid you are. And, and it's not often that they're not actually right, but not understand that people prioritize things in a different way. Uh, pragmatist tends to prioritize the practicality, um, where for an, uh, you know, for a, an, a, you know, a, a, a stoic might prefer peace over practicality. Uh, that's why when I, I wrote the piece, I was kind of joking about how different attitudes might handle my buddy at the gym who is going through this divorce. And uh, I, I can't suggest that enough. I've always sort of done those type of things as a realist um, that sort of slides to that cynicism. Um, he, I really, I had him laughing so hard he was crying when I said that vulgar thing to him. But again, I did that because this dude is seeing a lawyer every other day and his wife is suing him and, and, and he's, he's, has been dated in, in 30 years and, and, you know, doesn't, he's scared about that. And, you know what I mean? He, and understandably so. And so my, my ripping on him for being such a doofus holding on to his parking spot, like that's a big prize. Um, I did, I did it to make him laugh, to break it up. And he was, he was happy that I did that. He was laughing about it repeatedly. And I, I do things like that sometimes. It's like a lot of my friends know this about me. Um, texting sort of gave me a magical, back years back in the day, I would, I would send things to my friends sometimes by email. That was just brutal, funny stuff I would find just out of the blue. Um, and then when texting came along, you know, Every couple of days, I, I've got a number of different friends. I send funny things that I've come across, but sometimes I just send harshness to them, <laughs> you, you know, almost in a way. And that, I get that. It's like they're working, they're really stressed at their job, and then I write something very funny or even mildly atrocious to them, react to it. They love it. They sort of reach that point where they almost needed that humor in that way. But, you know, but ultimately for me, much of my cynicism is, is really an un, uncommon thing, you know, from the perspective that I actually don't really do it very often. Um, you know, more often than not, um, I, I tend to help people see things as they are in that sense. And, and that's the thing as a realist. You know, to me, like, like for instance, let me give you an example of this in terms of a realist perspective. You know, if, you know, a spiritualist or an idealist when it comes to, like, UFO things like UFOs, um, is often going to be, may often really be tilting a lot toward the idea that that's real and that aliens come to visit and all those other things. Um, and again, not every idealist or spiritualist is going to have that perception, but again, it can be a more common one for people with that focus. Now, for me, as a realist, you know, if you think that you know, the Martians are coming to visit you all of the time. You know, I sort of see some of that as silly, that you keep getting visitations or things like that. It's not that I don't, not, it's not that I doubt that that's possible. I think in a very real way, um, people do get visited by aliens. To me as a realist, I would never question 
the idea that there are other there's life on other planets, and they may even have far more developed scientific or spiritual advancement, depending on how long they've been around, so to speak. So to me, as a realist, I would never even question the idea that there's life on other planets. It almost seems absolutely idiotic to assume that there would not be. It's just mathematically not very realistic to assume that other planets did not have similar conditions that could produce life. There are millions of planets, you know what I mean? So, duh, in that way. But on the flip side, as a realist, I'm not inclined to total sort of cuckoo bandwagon that sometimes people get on where it's like, well, they only visit me and they secretly talk to me. Yes, is that possible? But is that probable? Maybe less so. It's similar to when, when people go and do past life regressions and things like that. Listen, I've done many past life regressions. I've seen other lifetimes. It's one of the things I've done for clients. I'm good at it. I tend to be able to pick up on people's other lifetimes. So um, I'm good at this type of stuff. And I, when I was doing regressions myself, I saw many, many lives I lived. But when I run across a person who claims to be Cleopatra or George Washington in the past lifetime, well, i got to tell you, the realist, that's probably BS. You know, I mean, that, that's more uh, a grandation, you know, being aggrandizing things and, and trying to, you know, concoct the idea that, you had this magical life. Yes, it's entirely possible. It's a good chance you had a lifetime where you were famous or you did something of a pronounced, you know, in a pronounced way. But, you know, Cleopatra, I don't know, it just seems like a little on the, the cuckoo side. Again, the disposition of a realist. Um, not discounting it by any means and even being open to looking at it, uh, but uh, not a... Uh, but not kind of getting too tilted off the, uh, you know, off the edge, so to speak. It's very similar to, like, speaking of a current event that's going on at the moment. You know, I, it's interesting to me, as someone who's on Facebook and, and has a number of followers on Facebooks and uh, Facebooks, Facebook, and uh, a number of friends on Facebook, you know, I actually like the political diversity of opinion that people have. I, I don't expect people to all have the same point of view in that sense. I, I like a certain amount of diversity. But like on the other end, like, you know, there's this big thing about this caravan of, of, of people from Honduras that are 3,000 miles away and they're walking toward America. And, you know, I, I, I saw someone the other day that one of, a, a, a client of mine too, and she's a delightful person, but she posted this thing from some Breitbart News website, which is kind of a racist website, guys. But anyway, but um, she posted something about that uh, behind the caravan, uh, George Soros uh, was secretly behind this, and and uh, even though they are three thousand miles and walking away, when the cameras aren't on at night, there's cars and trucks that take them a few miles ahead so they can get here sooner. And listen, as a realist, this is the type of stuff that makes my skin crawl. I mean, what are you talking about? That's so stupid. And that, it's just stupid. What are you saying? That doesn't listen. You know, any any functioning person, anybody can't just walk into the country. You know, in a sense, there's got to be certain rules. And but yeah, but you know, these people are three thousand miles away on foot. Ninety percent of them are never going to make it. They'll, you know, some of them are sadly going to pass and won't make it. And the other side of it is a lot of people, it's just too far. They're going to settle in Mexico. And, you know what I mean? And then the ones that do make it still have to be processed at the border. It's just what we do. And then they're looking to, like, 
clean their house and do garden work and stuff like that too. So this projection that it's some angry, evil, democratic-fueled mob, oh, God, just some of the stuff I see, it's so stupid. Trust me, I can also point out very stupid things on the left as well. But the right's going to win on this one in terms of more stupid at this point in the game. And I use that as an example back in 2004. Many of you might remember this. When there was questions about the upcoming election, one of the things that people on the right did is that was that time when there became this whole movement about getting a constitutional amendment to ban same-sex marriage because Vermont and other states were legalizing it. So they used that as a as a tool to get everybody upset. You know, if you make gay marriage legal, then there's going to be a slippery slope and people are going to want to marry their dogs and then there's going to be people marrying six other people and chaos is going to ensue. <sighs> okay, one nonsense. Two, gay marriage has been legal for a couple of years. Nothing changed. It's just fairer now. Uh, listen, I'm not really a big fan of marriage. I think it's kind of dumb, but everyone should have a right to do it if they want to. People not marrying their dogs. You know, I mean, this was the scare tactic that was played with. So, you know, not to try to get too political, but I use that as a point, as a realist in terms of the way I tend to see things uh, in that sense as they are. So, to me, that's how it is. And, yeah, an invading zombie horde of that coming from Honduras is... Uh, it's a scare tactic, you know. I mean, God, this is just we we do this stuff over and over and over again at one level or another, and people buy it hook, line, and sinker. Now, I also, like I said, I love my friends and the people with different opinions, and I'm never going to call anybody stupid to their face because that's mean and it's unproductive. And again, there's times when I'm stupid. You know what I mean? But by, by the same token, you know, as you from what I read from that piece, as I'm sure you all heard if you listened to it. I've always been this way. There's a part of me, like, I, I just kind of call out BS very naturally. You know, when I work with clients, I try to be much more understanding and help them to see when you're, when you're I'm saying BS to be nice here, uh, when you're BSing yourself. And we've all done that um, at different points in our lives where we, you know, some part of us, we knew this was the wrong thing we were doing or putting our energy toward, and we convinced ourselves and, uh, you know, in order to help people in that place, and I've been there a number of times in my life, um, we have to be gentle and loving with them, not cruel. So I, I never am. Again, I only do that more sometimes for humor purposes to make people laugh, but, you know, so being cruel is never something I, I really am or want to be. So anyway, um, you can learn more about the Michael teachings. Check out some of those books. Um, certainly check out what I have about that on my website. Uh, you get a lot of the info online, but if you want to um, learn more about this, it's incredibly valuable to learn it. It will make you an unbelievably effective in working with other people uh, and understanding the people around you. I do classes on this. Uh, you don't have to be in Phoenix to take a class. You can info on, about that is on my website uh, where you can sign up for a couple of classes and, and do them by phone or 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 by uh, uh, you know uh, FaceTime. If you if you need to see my face uh, in that way, but uh, they're not valuable. Okay, so we're finishing up our show here today. My apologies to the callers that called in. Um, typically, with my column shows, I don't take callers again because people tend to just want to ask personal questions, and I think for the listening audience, that's a little less interesting for the listeners. But uh, I think your questions are, are valuable. Um, uh, just book a session with me on your own and, and get insight that way. 
Okay, so finishing up the show here. Thanks for joining me. I will be back in November. Column, uh, Paul taking the higher road. It's all written. It's just being edited now. So I'll be uh, doing a show probably early to mid-November about that show. If you're not already getting my column, email me at mentorsage at yahoo.com. All that information is available here at Blog Talk Radio. It's also available on my website. And if you Google my name, I'm going to come up all over the place. Anyway, guys, uh, I'm definitely the most... Uh, uh, I guess, notable Jim Ventura, although I know there's lawyers and other people with my name too, uh, rightly so. So thanks for joining me today. Uh, everybody have an awesome fall. It's beautiful here in Phoenix. Weather is phenomenal, low 80s during the day and mid-60s at night, so it's just dreamy at this point. So I'll be back again in a couple of weeks, and thanks for joining me today. Everybody have a good one. Cheers.